please turn uh, over a few pages in your bulletin, and you can see the text there. It's Exodus 24, 1-11. Turn in your Bibles or turn in the bulletin. Um, We have been talking about law for a number of weeks. Fun, right? Law, laws of the Ten Commandments and then the the, the Book of the Covenant, the ordinances, the case law, the application of the Ten Commandments to Israel. And then last week we looked at this promise that God would see them through to the promised land. That He is going to keep His promise to them. Here's what I want you to do as my people, Israel... This is how you live with before me and how you live with one another. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be faithful to my promise. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to see you into the promised land. And uh, now, here we have the, the consummation, the ratification of this covenant that we've just been looking at for many weeks now. What God requires of Israel, what God... It says he's going to do for Israel. And now there's this ceremony that we're going to read about where uh, this covenant is kind of where the, the signatures are signed. That's what's happening here. The, we're, we're committing. There's this ritual of commitment. And it's called a covenant. And so we're going to look at this ceremony together this morning. Um, you know, why do we have covenant promises? Why are they made? You know, the one we just, we just saw promises made, right? We just witnessed someone saying, this is what I'm going to do. And by virtue, I think we've also, I've said, when we receive you, there's promises that elders and deacons make, right? To serve, to lead in service, to shepherd. And so when you say, I'm going to be part of this church, then my promise that I've made, my vows as a pastor, kick in and apply to them. And so there's this mutual, there's this vow, and, uh, you know, we, from various reasons, you know, change churches and have to move. And, you know, that's, you know we, you're not breaking a vow. Uh, but you, there, are this, there is this comfort and this, this security of, of knowing, here's what I want to do for you and here's what you're going to do for me, you know. Who remembers dating? Who remembers dating? You know, you have that define the relationship conversation. You know, the, the DTR, uh, that's what it's called. Where are we? What are we doing? How do you feel about me? How do I feel about you? What's going to happen next? And, you know, and then you don't want to be the one to, ha- to bring it up. You don't want to be the one to start the DTR, right? Because then it's like, what if they're not ready for that? Where do I stand? What do I do? That's why dating's so hard. That's why, you know, I'm, I, Camille and I are like, hey, we're... We love each other, but we don't want to do that again. You know, like... <laughs> right? Good. Okay, so... But I know where I stand. There's a vow, right? And there's commitment. And, and that's the beauty of kind of this, you know, vows we took here. And that's the beauty of God, of where we stand with God. There's a... We don't... You're not constantly going, okay, now God, where are we? How do you feel about me? How do I feel about you? No, there's a promise. There's a covenant. And I can rest secure in that. And that's the... There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of sacrifices, altars. But that's the big thing I want you to see. It's good. 
We know where we stand. We know who God is. And the Israelites know that. We know that. So let's read this together. Before we do so, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that um, you have, from the very beginning, you initiated the DTR. Um, We love you because you first loved us. We know we're secure in your love because you've made promises and you came through on those promises. You've never broken a promise. And we are children of the covenant. Comfort us by this, your word. Help us to understand what this covenant means. And as we read this, make us encouraged by the covenant keeper, Jesus Christ, this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse, chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He arose, he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord, Yahweh, has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood in the basins and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up and they saw The God of Israel, there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. And they beheld God and ate and drank. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I've broken this down into, guess it, you guessed it, three three things. There's that sad joke, Daniel, we were talking about that. Um, uh, that pe- preacher joke, it's always three. Um, I want you to see three things here. I want you to be, um, not only see them, but I want you to be encouraged and amazed by them. The invitation... The sacrifice and the meal. The invitation, the sacrifice, and the meal. First, the invitation. We all like getting invitations in the mail, don't we? Well, sometimes, right? Um, Sometimes, you know, especially at... And don't, don't hear I'm not saying some of you new graduates, but, you know, when you get graduation invitations from 30 people 
that's like you do the math, okay, it's 30 times 25 or whatever you decide to spend on the gift and you're going, why do I never budget for this? Why do I, every year I'm like, oh, it's May, you know, anyway. But uh, <laughs> there's nothing more fun than a college or high school graduation, am I right? Anyway, y'all can laugh at that. Anyway, because it's not true. Anyway, um, but we, we, got in, we like getting invited, we like being included and, and think about this. Uh, Moses and what? 73 other good people are invited by God to do what? To come up on the mountain. Now, if we remember, and you know, it's been a number of weeks since we were in chapter 19, God was very explicit about something. Do not touch the mountain. <laughs> Do not come to the foothills. Don't come to the edge. Is that starting to slope up? Stay away from that. Stay on the plane. You know? If you feel the ground going up, stay off. <laughs> he said, I'm so concerned about it. I'm gonna, I want you to set guards so that people don't wander. If, a, if one of your animals wander onto the edge of the mountain, kill it. Why? Because if we talked about this, God's... Holiness, he's drawn near. He's, he's come into the visual you know, perception of his people on the mountain and spoken from the mountain. But, don't, but now, I want you to come up onto the mountain. What an invitation. What an amazing thing. Why these guys, though? Why do they get included? Well, we know uh, that, that Moses is the mediator. And we talked about that before. He's the mediator. He, he knew that they would need someone to, be, to represent you know, Israel to God and God to Israel. He knew that at the beginning. And then when God spoke from the mountain, when God spoke the Ten Commandments, then the people learned, hey, we need a mediator. They were, we, they were a little slow to the game. God knew beforehand. They're like... We can't hear directly from God. We're going to be undone. We are unholy. And that was scary. <laughs> he gave us a law. And I, right then, they're like, I don't know if we can keep it. We should say we can keep it, but I don't know. I don't think... Moses, you, you speak for God. So he's there. He's been there before. But also now we have Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. And who are they? They haven't been set apart yet, but what? They are going to be the high priest. Aaron's going to be the high priest. He is also going to represent God. Represent God to the people and people to God. And specifically, it's more the people to God. He's going to be, we're going to find out. We're going to read about this adornment he's going to have and this uniform he has, which represents God's people. It's going to be 12 jewels on his breastplate and, 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 and different representations of God's people on, on this outfit that seems very garish and weird. But, but again, he is representing God's people to God and bringing sacrifices uh, for sin. And so he's there along with his oldest sons who are, gonna, who are supposed to take over as high priest and follow in those priestly duties. So the priest goes, the representation of that. And also the leaders, the 70 ruling elders. And why are they included? Well, there's this interesting thing here. You see the, the prophet and Moses and the priest and then the, the rulers, the kings, the rulers of God's people. There you see this prophet, priest, king representation uh, pointing to uh, the, these, these, you know, the, what Jesus eventually um, fulfills in his, in his uh, uh, 
role as Messiah. But uh, these elders are there uh, representing God's people as well. They're, they're from all the different tribes. They're, uh, there's 70, and that number is significant. Seven is a number of completion. Seven times ten is just completion times completion. <laughs> And so what, what's, uh, what's there? What, what do we take away? This is a, a way of, by representation, all God's people being invited to come onto the mountain, to invite it closer, to come up, to commune with God. Though, not, they don't all get to draw near and be in His presence at this point, only Moses as the mediator. The invitation is clear. And, and, and I think it's important to, to notice that this invitation comes after the law has been stated. Think about that. The, 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 the foundation of what I'm requiring of you, from God to His people, has been clearly stated. And they're going to say, yeah, we'll do it. And we know what? They don't. Does God know that? Yes. And the invitation still stands. You don't have to be a real clever preacher to come up with application there. (laughs) Do you, when you hear God's requirements, when you hear His righteousness, His holiness, do you think, well, I've got to get cleaned up before I come to Him? And I'm preaching to the choir, you're here. But do you know, did you used to think that? Do you know people that think that? I will wait till later in life. I'm going to, you know, I hear this. I'm going to, I'd go do the, the Bible study at the Pie Cap House. You know, I'm going to enjoy college. I'm going to, they don't say, sow my oats, you know. They don't say that. Uh, millennials don't talk that way or Gen Z, whatever. But they're like, I'm going to kind of live it up. And, you know, I'll settle down later. Or, out of great conviction, I'm so messed up. I've done so many bad things. I'm so still living a life of sin. There's no way I can come. That invitation isn't for me. But here God's going, here, here's the stipulations. <laughs> here, are the, here are the consequences of breaking it. And you're telling me you can do it. And I know you can't. And He's going, but come unto me. That's, again, does God change in the New Testament? Is He someone different? Does, does the Son becoming man soften the Father's heart? No, His heart has always been for His people who are sinners, who need redemption, who need atonement. The invitation stands knowing they cannot keep His law. The invitations to you and to me. It's to folks like like them, folks like us. Come to me. Come to me through the mediation of another. I invite you and I will make a way. So there's the invitation. Now, how in the world can this invitation be valid? How can these guys who, again... We know, what did Nadab and Abihu do? And, and, you know, as we keep reading. They go in and offer, uh, give an offering that's not according to what God said, and they're struck dead. 
they, their, their time as, as priests is very short. And brothers three and four have to take over. What do these, what do these 70 elders and do after Moses comes back down from the mountain here in a few chapters? They have already built an idol. It, it takes 40 days for them to forget the book of the covenant that they're about to hear twice. How did these folks get, get access? Well, that's why there's the sacrifice, our second point. The sacrifice. They're invited, but how can they draw near? They need a sacrifice. What Moses does before he ever goes up the mountain, he's told this is what you're going to do, and now he stops. And it's interesting, you know, usually God says, okay, now Moses, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. Moses says, you want me to come up? We're going to bring the folks with you. But he knows, I'm sure led by the Spirit, from, and also from other experiences of covenants, that a sacrifice is required. You know that God doesn't say, now I want you to go make an altar. I want you to make 12 pillars. He just goes and does it as mediator. I'm convinced this is Moses, you know, led by the Spirit, of course, being a, being a prophet of God, but taking, taking kind of charge, if you will, knowing what to do, led by God, but not needing his expressed, this is what you should do. If we're going to go on this mountain, if we're going to go into this holy place, and I'm bringing these 73 guys with me, and we're going to have a covenant, man, a covenant requires... Blood requires sacrifice. So he builds this altar, an altar that is according to what, he has, what God has said, not carved with hands, not you know, shaped stones, but just natural stones stacked, not a high lifted up, but just on the flat ground. And he makes 12 pillars that represent the 12 tribes because he knows what they're about to do and the sacrifice they're offering is on behalf of all of God's people. Is offered on an altar surrounded by 12 pillars because all of God's people need atonement. Who offers it? Well, he says he sends young men, and most commentators think these are the, the firstborn of all the families. How long do you think it took to offer an ox from every family of all of Israel? You thought about that? I was just thinking about it. I, I did. I didn't. I don't have an answer for you, but it just. I, I feel like it's just would be better just to speculate. That's a lot of oxen. <laughs> How many basins? How much blood are we talking about? I mean, gallons and gallons and gallons. You know, I've cleaned a deer a few times. There's a lot of blood. I've never cleaned an ox. Who's ever butchered an ox? Nobody? I'm surprised. No, but that's a lot of blood. And they kept all the blood. And they sacrificed all these. Not just one type of sacrifice, but two types of sacrifices. One is the burnt offering and one is the peace offering. The burnt offering was the whole animal, besides some of the entrails, was put on the altar and, and just consumed in the fire. Completely devoted to the Lord. All of it is His. And what that is, this burnt offering is, is, is a sin and guilt offering. This is, I, I, all that I have fallen short and all of me, all that I am, 
deserves this, but I'm giving all of myself and total devotion to you, holding nothing back in confession and need of grace and forgiveness. The burnt offering. And then a peace offering, which part of it was given to the Lord, and then later on, part was given to the priest, and part was kept by the, the family that brought it. And it was eaten. And it was called a peace offering, or fellowship offering. And it symbolizes restoration and communion with God. That you're sharing in the meal with God. And so all of Israel, all these men, all the firstborn, bring ox... And the sacrifices are made, whole burnt offerings, peace offerings. And we get that. We get that. Atonement is needed. But then we get to this blood part. <laughs> you know, I thought about, what would if you had walked in and I had a huge vat of what looked like blood just sitting here, would you stay? And I had like this broom that was already in it. And it looked like I took a few practice swings, you know? Like, what would you have stayed? No. That's weird, right? I mean, we read it. We go, that's the Bible. It's the Old Testament. It's weird. But think about it. Think about this. This is the first time we've read this. This is the first time in the Scriptures that this is... You didn't sling blood all over people before? Why? What's going on? Well, O. Pommel Robertson, a great teacher of the Scripture, um, wrote, wrote many good books about covenant. He defines covenant as a bond in blood. Keeping the covenant meant that life would ensue. Um, breaking it would lead to spilling of blood and to death. The blood represented life and death. What gives life and when it's shed, what takes away life. And so the sacrifice was given, was devoted, but the blood was significant. And the blood was done, there's two things he did with it, you know it? There's blood on the altar and blood on the people. Why? Well, first, why does he put it on the altar? Um, another great teacher, Motir, says this. He says, the primary need is that God should be satisfied. For it is His justly due wrath that constitutes our danger. And in mercy, He has appointed that by substitutionary death, those endangered by His wrath are accepted into His presence and fellowship. The blood was put on the altar, the place where the where it was where the animals were devoted for for you know were given as a sacrifice. It was put on the altar because God requires payment for sin. That sin deserves wrath, and God, as the righteous judge, has to punish sin. So these animals were served as a symbol of substitutionary atonement. The blood was put on the altar to satisfy God's divine wrath. But why was it put on Israel? What does Israel say when they hear the book of the covenant? They say twice, 
We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. But no sooner had they made this commitment that the shed blood was sprinkled over them like a huge covering of mercy. You see, like I said, God knows that their best intentions, that they'll fall short. He knows that they can't do it. And so, at this ratification of the covenant, of this making it official, we say, He provided the blood of sacrifice to be at the ready This is again quoting from Otier. He provided the blood of sacrifice to be at the ready to cater for each and every lapse from His revealed way. Yeah, you made the commitment and that's what they were supposed to do in this covenant. But God says, you need to be washed in the blood of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is... For you, and you cannot stand before me without it. Again, it doesn't take a really clever preacher to figure out the application. Did the did the blood of these hundreds of oxen satisfy divine wrath? No. It was a symbol. It was a a way to teach them that yes, my sin should alienate me from God. My sin should cause me to not be able to draw near. But He will provide a way through a substitute that we may draw near. And the rest of the Scripture is God unfolding that plan more and more and more. To show that what? He will make a way. And it is by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ, that that they, those who trusted in the Lord at this point, could approach God. They believed in that which had not been revealed yet. They did not know how it would happen, but they knew that through a substitute, divine wrath would be absorbed and they would be accepted. And so in their worship, they continued to bring the sacrifices. Sacrifices that for them would never fully turn away God's wrath. That's why they kept doing it according to Hebrews. But they knew that God makes a way and forgives sinners. We, as we become Christians, when we believe and we understand who God is, we say with it's right to say, we will do what you commanded. And we just, we, just read, we just read in Romans the tension we all live in, right? In the inner man, if you've been renewed and, and been made new in Christ, that you d- delight in His law. That you want to be conformed to Him. You believe His law is life. And that He is the way and truth and life. And you want to be conformed to Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of of the Word, of the law. But yet, we also, we can't do it. Our flesh is at war within us. Did every person there just lie? Or did they really want, they wanted 
to do what God commanded. I'm convinced that many of them did. But they needed His grace. They needed His mercy. They needed His forgiveness. They couldn't do it on their own. That's you and that's me. We've been invited and we have been cleansed. Washed in the blood. The invitation wasn't a mistake. The mailman didn't make, didn't mess up. It's for you. It's for you. And you're invited and you can draw near because He's made you fit through His sacrifice. Finally, number three, the meal. And this is the most amazing thing. You know, they don't, they don't know this at, in verses 1 through th- and 2. They just know they're going to come up. But when they follow through, when they make their way, they saw God. All 74 of them saw God. Why? This is similar to the, the theophany, the appearance of God, similar to what Isaiah experienced in, six, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, what Ezekiel experiences as he sees God manifested in Ezekiel one twenty two. But it's also very similar to uh, what John sees in the throne, throne room in Revelation. It's like we get like a like a glimpse of that. You know what, what John gives us in full detail. He's as though he has all the time and all the words and by the help of the Spirit to give us a clearer picture of this vision. Uh, we only get a part of it, but they see God. And again, is it God in His fullness? Well, we know later that Moses could only see the backside, but they they see the the feet of God. They see a, a part of God. They see something of, of the divine. They see Him. It's, it's greater than the burning bush. It's greater than the, than the glory cloud uh, on the mountain. They see God and they see Him as though... And it's described as, some of you, it's like sapphire flooring. You know, we have blue carpet. It's not like that. It's much better. It's like... Like, like the, the, a perfect blue. And it... It's as though he said, it was as though as heaven had, what does it say? It's he, it was like heaven for clearness. It's as though they were getting a glimpse into the heavenly places. What, as, as in my mind's eye, I think about a, a, a perfectly still lake on a beautiful, clear day and where it reflects the sky. You know, where it's just like, you're, like it's just sky just goes infinitely in both directions. You ever seen that? Or see a picture of it? <laughs> And it's as though they're up in the heavens and they're seeing a glimpse of, 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 the, of, the, of the heavenly realms, of the sanctuary of God where they see this clearness and, and this sea of glass, the sea of beauty of just clear. And also this word for clarity can mean in, in Hebrew holiness and, 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 and a moral clean, cleanliness. And so it's just this perfect, pristine, holy appearance of God and they are in awe. They see God and in the presence of God. They were not destroyed. 
You know that? And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Now, if that had happened... <laughs> I kind of read that going, what is that? Who, who's the he and who's laying hands on somebody? Did that kind of surprise you when you read it? Like, what? But again, remember back to 19. They're in the presence of God on his mountain and Moses felt it necessary to say, and by the way, you know what? We kind of expected to all die. (laughs) And God didn't do it. He accepted them. They were not destroyed. And that's the surprise. (laughs) That's, That's the mercy. That's the grace. They were not, God did not lay a hand on them. And then what did they do? They ate and they drank. They beheld God and then they enjoyed a covenant meal with God. Why? This was a common way to ratify covenant in the ancient um, Middle East. That when two parties, usually a, a king and then his vassals, they made this, 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 this uh, commitment, what you will do for me, what I will do for you. Once they cut the covenant, once the blood was shed, and just like with Abraham and God, you know, the animals were laid in two. And we know, again, there's a consistency here. Abraham didn't have to walk through those animals when he cut that covenant in Genesis 15. God did for both of them. And here again we have a sacrifice which isn't for them. It's not, you know, they, they, they're sprinkled. The sacrifice is credited to them. And now that this has been ratified, now that the, the, the sacrifice has been given and the, and, and the commitments have been made, it was customary for the two parties to have a meal together. Again, that's what the peace offering, that's what the fellowship offering was about. Now that I am restored, now that atonement has been made, I'm at peace with my, with my king. He is for me. And I'm accepted by him. And so here we have a normal ceremony of the day, but, but, but amazing because it's not just a king, it's the king. It's not just a ruler, it's the creator and ruler of the universe. He has descended, he has allowed them to enter his presence though they are not holy, though they are not righteous in and of themselves, and he is now dying with them, saying, you are mine, and this covenant is for you, and you are my people. In the new covenant ceremony, communion, Jesus says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Again, this one's easy. It doesn't take a clever preacher to figure this out. When we come to the table, this is a pointing back to that, that, that beautiful reality that, that you and I are at peace with God through the sacrifice because He has kept His covenant promises. So this Lord's Supper, I believe, reflects the covenant meal at Sinai, indicating that you're in, and that God is for you, and that He loves you for the, because of 
the blood of the Lamb, because of the atoning sacrifice that covers you, if you but trust in Jesus, if that is true for you, then you are welcome. You're invited, you're cleansed, and you're at peace with God. That's what He wanted His people to know, that through atonement, God's people... Though they couldn't keep the law, they're invited, they're cleansed, and they're accepted. So, we're going to now go to the table and invite you, brothers and sisters in Christ, to come and be reminded of those truths. You're invited. You're cleansed. You are accepted. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. This is true. We thank you for the work of redemption, and we see it here, even in the Old Testament, this place of after giving of the law, God shows, He washes them, covers them with the blood of the sacrifice, showing His mercy and grace. We thank you that the sacrifice, the atonement has come, and we have a greater assurance of our invitation and of our acceptance that we are cleansed and made righteous in your sight. Lord, work this truth deeper in our hearts through this, your word, and through this meal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been a lot of views about what's going on in this meal over the last, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, the Catholics, you know, believe that this became the body and blood of Christ, that it actually changed its form, its matter, and became Jesus' body and blood. And though he's kind of being re-sacrificed each week, I don't, I don't think that's it. Uh, some would say that this is uh, just a symbol and it's not anything, it's just a reminder. That's all it is. But Calvin said this. He said, it, through communion, we, we commune with Christ spiritually. And it's not so much as Christ, who's at the throne, right hand of God, is coming down. But we and our spirits are lifted up and commune with Him in the heavenly places. And I, I remember that quote because that's kind of what, that's what happened to the 70 elders. They got a glimpse. They were communing with God 
And they were seeing him as he is in the heavenly places. And, and by, through the Spirit, that's what, that's what we're doing. We're communing with Christ. Because of not this that we're eating and drinking. Because of his finished work. The outward sign of an inner spiritual reality. That we believe in what Christ has done for us and will do. So, brothers and sisters, come and partake. Come and be encouraged that you have been invited, cleansed, and accepted. If you are not sure of these things, or you, you are not a confessing Christian, if you're um, not a member of a gospel-preaching, um, believing church, um, we ask you to refrain. We ask you to take time to consider... The truth that we have a God who's not an exacting God, not a not a, a, a vicious God, not a not a God who who who's, who lives to hate and to punish, but a God who yes is righteous, but a God is loving and delights to show mercy and grace, just like He does did in Exodus twenty four. He will do that for you. So come, brothers and sisters, and partake of this meal and be encouraged in Christ.
the night that Christ was betrayed, he met with his disciples, had the Passover meal, and then he, at one point he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, he said, as we just said in the sermon, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The actual sacrifice that would turn away wrath because he absorbed it for us. This is what he did, and this is what this represents. Take and drink, all of you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for the we, that you have set aside these common elements for this holy use. We thank you that as we partake of this meal, we know that we do this together. That you have uh, cleansed and, 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 and accepted all of us. We thank you for that. Lord, make us um, a people who are resting in you, resting in your finished work. And may the mercy and grace we've, we've talked about that this meal demonstrates, may it move us toward confession and repentance. May it move us toward reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. May it draw us to you and to one another, this, this gospel that we have heard and and have tasted we give you thanks lord um, we thank you that you have shown us great love that carries us to kindness and we we praise your name we thank you in jesus name amen I ask you now to stand for our final hymn here i bow